Okay, so all we need to know is that it is very hard to come up with a cold open on your own. It's much easier to do a cold open um, if you uh, have somebody to talk with. Um, so yeah, welcome to episode one of maybe a podcast series about um, my thoughts on Shang-Chi. Um, as of right now, the show does not have a name because I actually may be planning on having a podcast with somebody else. Um and I don't want to use our working name. So, um, yeah, my name is Nathan, uh, Nathan Kato. You can find me on Twitter at, at Kato, not Kato. Uh, I'll spell that later when, when we finish up episode one. Um, but yeah, I, uh, today is Saturday. It's the day after Shang-Chi's release. And, um, yeah, I, I think I, I saw the movie yesterday with a friend and, um, neither of us are really big Marvel people and I was really excited about it more, um, half because it was Marvel, uh, a superhero movie and then half because, um, Simu Liu is, uh, has been incredible and, like, it's been really cool just seeing him develop over the course of Kim's convenience and, like, seeing him in this completely different role is, um, is really cool. Um, and I also have a crush on him. Um, so, all of that aside, um, yeah, the movie was, was really great, and I, um, I enjoyed it. I think that, um, overall some of the pacing was a little, had, had some issues. Um, I, I was telling my friend and some other friends who are, um, bigger Marvel folks that, um, I felt that the middle of the movie was kind of saggy a little bit. Um, but overall the, the opening and the, the final, um, sort of final climax and, and descent, um, of the movie those those parts were were pretty good um as i mentioned this is probably going to be episode one because i've got a lot of thoughts and um a lot of analysis on the movie um how it fits into culture and how um and how both like the triumphs and the shortcomings of the movie um so since this is episode one i figure we can start um kind of a high level overview and and then um we can start to make our make our way through the movie um and all the different aspects of what i want to talk about which is a lot um so as I mentioned, um, I'm on Twitter and, uh, yesterday I, I started making this huge thread of all my thoughts and, um, yeah, so if we're going to start at a high level, um, I think it'd probably be best to start off with the history of Shang-Chi, which, um, if you're a big diehard Marvel person, um, it's also possible you, you don't know about Shang-Chi. Um, Shang-Chi started off as a the the creation of a white author um and uh, let's i just i just want to make sure that i've got this right um i i don't remember who who created him um shang chi was created by steve Englehart and jim starlin um so both both white people and they uh he um debuted in 1973 so it's been like 50 years or so um, since, since the, since his debut in the Marvel Comics universe, um, and all we really need to know about the previous iteration of Shang-Chi is he was born out of a lot of racist characters, um, he, his quote-unquote superpower was doing kung fu, um, which, uh, Note to people who are trying to create Asian characters and especially Asian superheroes: martial arts is not a super, are not a superpower. 
um anybody can learn how to do kung fu anybody can learn how to do karate anybody can learn how to do any sort of martial arts and like i mean we can we can see this at the olympics for example um judo is an olympic sport um judo is a japanese martial art and you know there are people from all countries around the world competing at the olympic level in judo same thing for karate um you know it's such a i I grew up in a pretty suburban area with you know predominantly white folks and karate was a very um very white not white thing to do but like everyone like everybody in my like second grade class did karate um i did not which is ironic because i'm half japanese um but yeah like martial arts they're not a superpower um that that's the baseline um, the other quote-unquote power that Shang-Chi had in the original comics was qi manipulation. Uh, so, um, qi, which is the Chinese word for air or energy, um, is, uh, you know, has been regarded, at least in Chinese philosophy, as kind of life force and, um, maybe not Chinese philosophy, but, like, Chinese schools of thought, um, and, and thoughts on wellness and, and balance and everything, um, Qi has been, uh, is an important concept. Um, so for example, with like the, um, the principles of acupuncture, um, those are all, the needles are supposed to be interacting with specific Qi points on your body, um, to help promote energy flow. The, um, the, uh, wow, what's the word I'm trying to think of? The the philosophy of, like, home organization, feng shui, is based on qi flow, and, um, it, you know, what way you orient your bed in, in the bedroom, that's, that's all based on qi flow. Um, qi has also made its appearance in, um, western media, um, you see it, it's been, re- it was referenced in Avatar, so for example, um, Tai Lee is the, the circus acrobat who happens to know tea points, and, uh, she can, she can stop, um, a bender from being able to bend their element by, uh, hitting tea points. Um, this is also referenced in Naruto with um, the Hyuga clan and Byakugan being able to, or uh, their their um, special bloodline um, ability being able to see chi points, um, and how and that um, actually relates to pretty much directly with uh, the chakra concept in the Naruto series in that universe. Um, so yeah, it's it's me. Well, that's and that's not even Western media. Wow. Um, sorry. Uh, this is there. There are going to be a lot of tangents because this is very much freeform. I'm recording in my bedroom. Um, on on voice memo on my phone. So there's there's truly no structure here. Um, but the other piece of Western media that has incorporated C has been the live action remake of Mulan from Disney. Um apparently the the villain in that movie can manipulate C and like it's this weird thing that only apparently only men can do um which is pretty stupid because um C is supposed to be like a universal concept of energy like it it, it does not does not look at it's not like oh only men have this it's like everybody has it um so <clears throat> obviously uh, the Mulan remake was, uh, pretty, pretty bad, um, 
I heard lots of bad things about it, and I did not, I did not watch it, um, because I don't, I, like, as, even though my rule for movies is to only watch something if it has a person of color in it, um, and, and by, in it, I mean in a leading role, um, I, I was just, like, so unimpressed by what was going on there, but anyways, uh, that's, that's sort of, like, a brief media history of tea and what, what that concept kind of means, um, tea manipulation could be cool but um if the character was created by white uh creators and they don't really even know or respect the cultural background that that comes from then it's not really going to be executed well um so that's shang chi and the the history of his superpowers and and what that all means um and now we move into another character which the movie was able to redo as well um the leader of the ten rings in um in the movie is Xu Wenwu, played by Tony Leung, and um, he is also a, a completely remade, a redone character. Um, fans of the MCU will recognize the Mandarin um, as a, as a, a villain. And I believe that was from Iron Man three, um, and the Mandarin in the original comics was also. Um, what was all, you know was also present in the comics, but he was actually the leader of the ten the the official leader of the Ten Rings and Shang Chi's father, um, and he was actually his his civilian name I believe is Fu Manchu, which um, yeah it's not great folks it's <laughs> bad um, so the uh, the character of the Mandarin was based heavily on yellow peril stereotypes at the time. Um, he was skinny. He was like, uh, he had long gang, long spindly fingers with long fingernails. He had, um, the iconic, uh, facial hairstyle that is now called the Fu Manchu. Um, and that is truly because of this character. Um, and yeah, it was just based in a lot of yellow peril and just racism. So obviously that character needed a revamp because I, nobody, and by nobody, I really mean just like people of color are not interested in seeing stereotypes of themselves, um, in modern, modern media. So, um, that got redone and, um, yeah, that's, at least that's the extent of my knowledge. Maybe I'll have a guest on, um, or, like, figure out how to do guest, um, interviews and whatever, and we can talk a little bit more about, about, um, history and stuff, but, um, yeah, so the movie itself had to completely redo all of Shang-Chi's origins as well as, um, uh, Wenwu's origins as well to, you know, make this, make this story actually better, and, and make it such that this character, um, was, was rich and respected, um, rich not in the monetary sense, but, like, rich as in, like, um, multifaceted and, and interesting, um, so, yeah, this, uh, the movie had to do a lot of work, um, and, I think that ultimately the movie succeeded in painting a picture of, okay, so this is the world that we're stepping into, this is who Wen Wu is, and the this is what the Ten Rings can do, and um, 
and it like I said the movie I think does a really good job of establishing that the pacing suffers a little bit in the middle um just because I think there are a few there are several elements of the story that I feel like we could have done without or um or just found another way to experience or like to show um those particular aspects um but other than that um yeah that's so that's um the movie the movie really had to had a lot to do um because Shang-Chi has not been in the zeitgeist and Shang-Chi I don't think has ever been in the in the zeitgeist he um you know the people who are reading Marvel comics are um generally uh not people of color and I think that shift has been a recent thing and you know definitely if you're a person of color and you're into comics like don't stop like we uh, we as people of color being in these traditionally white spaces um really forces those spaces to diversify and so like for example in terms of progress with the MCU and the Marvel Comics universe at least um like we have a new Filipina hero named Wave and she was created by a Filipino artist and like that's that's incredible and so as a result like I know that um they that Wave is going to be handled very well in in her own stories and how she's constructed um now on the opposite side of that we have um marvel also made these two superheroes who are supposed to be trans and non-binary and they were called snowflake and safe space and um as as a queer person um and as someone who is very left-leaning this is just um it's very upsetting to see creators sort of weaponize that language um that has been weaponized against queer folks and and um particularly black folks um you know calling calling people snowflakes for trying to stand up for themselves and trying to advocate for the once again the safe space um that they deserve um because white folks are just so uncomfortable with allowing things that are like specific like white folks are just so unfamiliar with the concept of allowing people different from them to exist um the white mindset is just so focused on assimilation and calling out things that are different um so like it that's an example of the same sort of you know creation um that brings about at least shitty characters in my opinion um I would have loved to see um, trans and non-binary superheroes created by trans and non-binary people. And honestly, um, the them being trans and non-binary like should be the least interesting thing about them. Like, I want. I know that I'm. We're getting a gay superhero in the Eternals, um, and like, if if the movie's done right then you know that's just part of the character and i and i believe that the movie will be done very well because it's being it's being um directed by chloe Zhao, and she has her, her the cast for the eternals looks amazing um but anyways going back to character creation and um and how that affects things yeah like shang chi and um 
the Mandarin were created by white folks in, in a time where um, the, 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 the sentiment against China um, then was hostility, and I think that really perpetuate that still perpetuates to today, and in especially um, we're seeing that because of the pandemic, there's been a rise in anti-Asian hate crimes. But those also, um, for those who are unaware, those actually have been at some level. Um, it's not like these are new to the Asian American community. Community, these are things that we've been we've been dealing with for a while. Um, they never really went away. Um, the most infamous one is, um, oh my gosh, I just need to check the name and make sure that I'm not saying this incorrectly because that would be embarrassing. Um, let's see. Yes. So, um, in 1982, with Vincent Chin um, being killed in um, being killed because he was Asian in I think this was in Detroit, right? Um, yes, in in the metropolitan area of Detroit. Um, so these like racism has against Asians has a has a deep rooting in in American history. Um, obviously not quite as deeply rooted as anti-blackness um, and anti-black racism, but anti-Asian racism has, has definitely, um, is still part of American culture, unfortunately. Um, and this has been manifested in the slurs um, and also in, you know, just how people are treating, how, how people are treating us. Um, at the beginning of the pandemic, I do remember um, actually losing a potential friend because um, he made a joke about um, there's a line from the movie The Big Lebowski where um, basically there's the like this one character says oh uh, some like make some comment about like China Man or something which if we don't know that already that's a racist term um, and another person says oh the preferred term is Asian American and so the joke was made in context with like coronavirus and I told this guy like hey look that's not acceptable um it's really hurtful and he was like no I don't think it is it's it's actually kind of funny um and so as a result I blocked him um so all of this to say that you know anti anti-asian sentiments are deeply rooted in the American psyche and in American culture and those are what originally gave shape to the creation of Shang-Chi and the creation of the Mandarin. Um, so now, when we're comparing the old version of Shang-Chi to the, the new one, yes, we do have, um, you know, there there is the martial arts aspect. Um, and there's, there's some pretty cool parts of the martial arts that we see um, when, um, when Wu and Ying Li first meet um so Shang-Chi's mom and dad um when they meet in the opening we get some of that um some sort of extras with the martial arts that are going on so for example um Wen Wu is using Kung Fu to to control the Ten Rings and to um you know basically augment his abilities um and Ying Li is using um a a type of mar Chinese martial arts called Bagua Zhang which is 
translates to a trigram palm. Um, and for the, and this, you know, now we're going to transition a little bit into choreography because this is also another huge part of the movie. Um, Bagua Zhang is, uh, for, for some of the, some of you folks who might have watched Avatar, you might actually recognize this martial arts style because it is the, um, martial arts style that was used to model airbending. Um, Shang-Chi actually has a really cool nod to that in that, um, whenever Ying Li or even her sister Ying Nan, who is port- portrayed by, um, Michelle Yeoh, um, whenever either of them are using, um, Bagua Zhang, um, they the wind actually moves with them um in certain forms um Yingnan uses this against Shang-Chi uh when they're when they're sparring and you know when he's like oh I think I got this um and she's just like haha ha, ha, I don't think so um and you know unleashes that full power and so um yeah the uh, there, there's, um, a little bit of mysticism there, but I think the really cool part of this comes down to the Ten Rings themselves. Um, they seem to be this really cool artifact that, um, really cool is kind of an understatement. You know, you put them on and you are immortal, um, for as long as you keep them on. And, um, they appear to be like, individually controlled, it's, I would really like a little bit more information and detail on, like, how they're controlled and how, um, Shang-Chi was actually able to control them so easily after immediately putting them, or, you know, after Wen Wu gives them to him, um, but, yeah, they seem to be able to do really cool things, so, like, um, you know, you can, they can kind of do, like, a rocket booster jump, um, and, uh, like, supernatural monkey bars, um, like, I think Shang-Chi uses them at some point to sort of, uh, when he's, um, fighting, fighting what I will, what I affectionately call the big evil spaghetti, uh, flying spaghetti monster, um, he does some, some, uh, gymnastics there, some ring work, um, to get back onto the dragon, um, and, and uh, then, of course, they can be used as blunt force weapons when you see that a lot with, uh, so, for example, when, when Wu punches Shang-Chi into the lake, you see that when when Wu kills uh, a member of the Iron Gang um, in retribution for killing his wife, um, yeah, you, there's a lot of, you know, that brute force, um, but then also it seems that um, uh, the the Ten Rings themselves, um, have, um, I don't know, some, some sort of innate special ability or special power, and that, I feel like, was seen when, um, when Ying Li is able to sort of, like, capture the rings from Wen Wu and, and turn them against him, um, and then the same thing with when, um, Shang-Chi does pretty much exactly the same thing. Um, but the Ten Rings, seem to be this really cool tool, and I'm really actually very glad that, um, the sort of, like, superpower, the superhero-ness of Shang-Chi is tied to these things, um, in addition to his martial arts abilities, because, as I said before, um, martial arts are not a superpower. Um, so, yeah, the, it, it, there's a lot of legwork that had to be, had to be done with recreating this character more or less from scratch, um, and creating, um, creating both Shang-Chi from scratch and Wen Wu from scratch. They are both basically 
completely new characters and it's i don't think any other marvel movie has had to set the stage like this so so thoroughly like this um because you know this was this movie was given to an asian american creator and he um he basically you know he said look i'm not happy with the status quo and we need to rebuild this um and he did an amazing job doing so and no other Marvel movies has has had to do this so far. Um, I was talking to a friend about this last night on my way back from the movie theater and how, um, you know, Captain America has been pretty, is pretty um, salient in the zeitgeist. He's he's easily recognizable. Same thing with Iron Man. Um, you know, and that, that's not just because of the, those were the first two uh, Marvel hero movies that were released. Like, I remember growing up and watching, um, not Justice League, but, like, watching some other Marvel animated cartoons, and, like, Captain America and Iron Man feature pretty, pretty heavily, um, and then even when you're, when we're moving into Heroes of Color, um, Black Panther, I do remember seeing him in some episodes of Static Shock, so, um, you know, I was, I was very excited for Black Panther the movie, I didn't know too much about the character himself, but, like, I had had some exposure. Shang-Chi had no, had no exposure to him growing up. I don't think I saw any Asian American superheroes when I was growing up. I did some research, and I found at least, like, you know, even, even on the DC side of things, like, there's, there's not too much. There was, like, a, a, an Asian Green Lantern, but he's, like, this little boy or something like that. Um, so, and, and a minor character for, in, in the DC universe. Um, and, and the same sort of thing for Shang-Chi, like, like I said, he's not been in the zeitgeist. He's not in the public consciousness. And so this Marvel, this, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings had a, had a very big obstacle to overcome, which is how do I, um, you know, live up to the Marvel brand while also literally building a character from scratch um, and, and remaking this character into, and breathing, breathing new life into this character, breathing better life into this character, honestly, than the original source material. Um, and although, while I said that the, mi- the middle of the movie kind of sagged and the pacing was, seemed funky, um, ultimately, like, all of the work that was done in the middle paid off, because I did enjoy, um, I enjoyed the ending of the movie, not because the movie was ending, but because the narrative arc had reached, um, you know, the, that moment where you're like, oh, okay, this is, this is the beginning of this hero, and this is where they start to, they start to, um, put on, put on the mantle and, and, um, you know, go forward. So, um, and, and all the characters were, were very understandable and likable. Um, so ultimately, even though I felt like the middle sagged, um, and the, the pacing was a little funny, ultimately it was all deserved. Um, and yeah, so the, the movie itself like the the middle all the middle is necessary for to set up the end which um you know that's that's great storytelling that's great writing um so yes that's i think that's about that's going to be about it for episode 1 um later episodes i think we'll do some deep dives into characters and like choreography and um different aspects of the movie uh, i'm just trying to think about what i've got set up on my current twitter thread and i think some of it is characters some of it is 
um, the creatures that we see in the movie. Some of it is martial arts forms, um, and some of it is, um, you know, trying to unpack the Asian Americanness of that of of this experience and what what this actually means um, for the Asian American community. Um, so yeah, I think with that, I'll leave that at that. Uh, we'll call it call it the end of episode one. Um, this has been an untitled Shang-Chi, uh, TED Talk podcast. Um, I'm, once again, I'm Nathan Kato. You can find me on Twitter at, at Kato Not Kato, and that is K-A-H-T-O-N-O-T-K-A-Y-T-O. Um, and for those of you who are inevitably going to be curious, that is a phonetic pronunciation of, a pronunciation guide for my last name. Um, I hope that you find this interesting and hopefully you're looking forward to more um and uh i will hopefully talk to y'all again soon thanks